The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. Just before we get started, thank you. Um, so it is a really huge honor for me tonight to be introducing Dave Zirin, who our best friend Rush Limbaugh called state-run media scum. <laughs> <laughs> He has gotten a lot of love from other sources too. Um, Utney, he's, uh, he was named Utney Readers, um, one of one of Utney Readers' 50 visionaries who are changing our world. He has a, his own radio show called um, Edge of Sports Radio on Sirius XM. He is a writer for The Nation, Slam Magazine, The Progressive, um, and op-ed editor or op-ed contributor for the LA Times and 2005 and 6 Press Action Sports Writer of the Year. And stay tuned, he has a new book coming out in July called Bad Sports, How Owners Are Ruining the Games We Love. So stay tuned, it's out in July. So, um, with no further ado, I'm going to introduce um, Dave Zirin to talk about Here Come Low Suns, um, Sports and Resistance to Arizona's SB 1070. start a sports talk. There you go. Yes. First and foremost, I want to say I'm a little embarrassed. I thought I was going to be speaking and I prepared a talk on South Africa and the World Cup, but I guess not. I guess I won't be needing this. But I guess not. Um, God, I'm like a prop comic, like Carrot Top's going to come out next. Um, now, look, even though South Africa and the World Cup is not on the agenda tonight, I still would like to dedicate this meeting to a comrade who died this past year, who spent decades leveraging the power of sports for social change in South Africa and beyond. His name is Mr. Dennis Brutus. Yeah. And, and Dennis... As is custom on the South African left, they have this great thing on the South. I was just in South Africa. They have this great tradition on the left. You know, in, in the United States, even lefter, lefties struggle, and you might have seen this this weekend, struggle with how to start a talk. You know, it's like, how do you engage the crowd at the start? And, oh, boy, I just flew in, and boy, are my arms, you know, just horrible sometimes. <laughs> and in South Africa, they, the left has actually totally solved that problem by whether you're funny or not funny, a good speaker, a bad speaker, soft-spoken, not soft-spoken, you get up there in front of the crowd and you say, Amandla, and the crowd says, Owetu. But you say, Amandla, the crowd says, Owetu. And it means power, Amandla, Owetu, to the people. So in Dennis's memory, that's how I want to start this talk tonight. So, Amandla! 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 Cool, let's talk Los Suns. All right. So, 
It all starts with Arizona, and I'm going to assume that this audience is aware of the fact that Arizona has become ground zero for every anti-immigrant wingnut law on the wish list of the radical right. Now, John Stewart, as he can sometimes do, nailed it when he called Arizona the meth lab of American democracy. <laughs> well, you know that, like, the states are the laboratory of democracy, all this crap is the meth lab of American democracy. Well, in this talk, I'm going to speak about a sports team that came out as one against the meth lab and said, hell no, the Phoenix Suns. I'm also going to talk about how the state's Major League Baseball team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, well done, <laughs> have become the traveling roadshow for these laws, drawing protesters to their games at the ballpark throughout the country, including this past week in Detroit, where people from the, the U.S. Social Forum came out to protest the Diamondbacks. Hilarious that they had to play the Tigers the week of the U.S. Social Forum. And I'm going to talk about the push, the critical push, to move the 2011 All-Star Game out of Phoenix. And for us in this room, I'm going to talk about why all this matters, why the very collision of sports and politics is important for us to understand the political booyah, if you will. But <laughs> I was dared to say that. But first, I'm going to tell a story, if I could, that has nothing to do with any of this, if that's okay with you guys. Is that okay? All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Um, a couple years ago, I was doing a talk at a left-wing bookstore in a city that I really don't want to name. All right, it was Philadelphia. Um, and <laughs> sorry, John. And and I walked in the store, and I, uh, you know, found the manager to say I was there. Well, actually, it wasn't a manager because it was a book collective. And I said, "Hi, my name's Dave Zirin. I'm here for the talk." And the young man looked at me, and he was he was he was shocked. And so he just did like a triple take, looking at me, and he said, "But." But, but you're white. And I said, well, yeah, last I checked, I, I, I am white. And he said, but your picture on the book. That's not you. This is, I swear this is a true story. And I said, I heard you were the what's my name fool guy. That's not you. And I said, well, no, that's actually Muhammad Ali. And another person at the same store asked me, I swear this is true, why I spent so much time and energy writing a book about Mr. T. And I had to say, I said, no, that's, I pity the fool, not what's my name, fool. And I was looking around the store, and there were all these posters everywhere of, like, resistance icons, Emma Goldman, Malcolm X. And the fact that there was no basic, conversant knowledge of Muhammad Ali, the most famous draft resistor in the history of the United States, gave me a great deal of pause. This is our history, and we should be claiming it, but we don't. Far too often on the left, it seems like we look at sports as a wholly owned subsidiary of Glenn Beck Incorporated. It's just right-wing claptrap, and that's all it is. Or we love it, but we're embarrassed by that. We act like watching sports is something to be quiet about and ashamed about. I mean, even at this lovely, wonderful conference, people come up to me like, hey, man, I really like sports. <laughs> 
as if as if watching sports is something you do at three in the morning in the bathroom on a small black and white TV, and someone's like, "What are you doing in there?" It's like, "Shut the door! I'm watching sports." You know. Um, but the reality is that sports, like any cultural commodity under this system, without question, is warped and distorted and contains all the hideous elements of a society that most of us want to see in the dustbin of history. But also, like music, literature, and art, it can be an electric site of resistance where the politics of struggle reach audiences that we could not possibly imagine and inspire people in ways that add full chapters to our collective history of resistance. And if I could say I went to the Black Power Talk earlier today, given by this guy named Curry Peterson. I don't know who... Oh, Curry, hold on. And, and it was one of the things that was so great about Curry's talk is that it was the first one I've ever heard, like a Black Power Talk, where he fully integrated the history of Muhammad Ali, the history of Tommy Smith and John Carlos, with a basic common sense understanding that, yes, this is, in fact, our history. So thank you, Curry, for doing that. That was terrific. And important. And important. Oh, well, it sounded so good. Um, it's like, God, he's so smart. Um, and a chapter of that very history was written in Arizona by Los Sons, and we need to claim it before someone sees me in this shirt and asks if I'm Steve Nash. Now, now the powers that be are going to try to erase this history from memory. I mean, you can't even buy these shirts anymore on the NBA website. As soon as they wore the shirts, they said, we're not going to sell them anymore on the site. Yeah. But the fact is, they might want to erase this fact, but the fact is, is that an entire team from owner Robert Sarver to general manager Steve Kerr, to star players Steve Nash, Grant Hill, and Amari Stoudemire, stood up to this so-called law, SB 1070, which gives police the right to demand papers without just cause, making racial profiling a legal reality, a law so awful that even Saturday Night Live, which has not been funny since <laughs> the Carter administration, <laughs> said that every time the cops stop someone, they might have to pay royalties to the Hitler family. Um, I didn't know there was a Hitler family, like Mr. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hitler in Buenos Aires or something. I don't know. I mean, but the team said no, and this was unprecedented in the history of American sports. It would be like if the 1955 Brooklyn Dodgers had come out formally against Jim Crow, or the 69 Jets had come out against the war in Vietnam with Joe Namath, their best player, leading the charge. That's what happened with the Suns. It was that significant, and I want to try to go through how and why that happened. But first, what did we see? We we saw the great two-time MVP point guard Nash say, it's racial profiling, things we don't want to see and don't need to see in 2010. We saw, <laughs> saw all-star power forward Amari Stoudemire, who has no political reputation whatsoever, also chime in saying, it's going to be great to wear low suns and let the Latin community know we're behind them 100%. And, and in my favorite display, we saw the general manager, Steve Kerr, now their former general manager, which is interesting too, first say he was somewhat uncomfortable with the move. And then after a weekend of receiving racist hate mail, he came forward and said, you know, it's hard to imagine in this country that we have to produce papers. It rings up images of Nazi Germany. 
And finally, we saw the owner, Robert Sarver, and I'm going to have a lot to say about Robert Sarver. Trust me. This isn't like go owners. Trust me. Um, Robert Sarver said, I looked around our plane and I looked at our players and the diversity in our organization, and there are times where you need to stand up and be heard. Well, I'm going to argue that there are other reasons why Sarver felt the need to stand up and be heard. We're going to get into that. But the most important takeaway here is that the Suns came out onto the court on Cinco de Mayo in a state where 70% supported these laws and on national television wore jerseys that read simply Los Suns. And this led to an absolutely unreal pregame ba basketball telecast. I don't know how many, just show of hands of how many people watch the game from pregame on. Good, good, only a few. Good, this is good because I love telling this story. All right, good. As, this was happening in the pregame show. As players warmed up on the inside, there was a 5,000 plus person march for immigrant rights on the outside, led by Phoenix Mayor Phil Gordon and Al Sharpton, both wearing Los Suns jerseys. It was so wild that they sent the TNT, Turner Network Television, their NBA sideline reporter, a guy named Marty Snyder, outside to cover the march. Now, normally sideline reporters on an intelligence scale are somewhere between... <laughs> I already know I'm not going to say something nice. Like, um, somewhere between a, a soda can and former governors from Alaska. They're in that range. With, with Palin here and the soda can here. And there we go. And this guy was no exception. This is what he said. This is on the pregame telecast. He said, well, all right, you didn't really sound like that. That's just fucked up. Sorry. He said, well, here I am at the march, and I want to report that there's no violence. And fortunately, everything is calm. Back to you, Ernie. And then he kicked it back to the studio pregame show with host Ernie Johnson, who's sitting between former players Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, and Chris Webber. Now, Ernie Johnson then tried to steer it towards the game, like, so what do you think is going to happen tonight? And Kenny Smith said, wait, 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 I have to say something about that comment that there is no violence. What does he think? The mayor's going to slap somebody? <laughs> and, and then Charles Barkley, round mound of sound, um, stepped in and said, you know Al Sharpton's not going to slap somebody. He'll mess up that hairdo. Now, that's just, that's just for funny. Now, this is what Barkley, who's a longtime Arizona resident, a man who once said he was a Republican until, quote, the Republicans lost their damn minds. Um, this is what he then said. He said, this is on the pregame telecast. He said, Immigrants aren't the problem. The only people screwing it up are the politicians. You know, living in Arizona for a long time, the Hispanic community, they're like the fabric of the cloth. They're part of our community, and any time you try to do any type of racial profiling or racial discrimination, it's wrong. But then it was Chris Webber, C. Webb, who upped the ante, interrupting a now visibly uncomfortable Ernie Johnson <laughs> with... Public Enemy said it a long time ago. <laughs> By the time I get to Arizona, I'm not surprised. They didn't even want there to be a Martin Luther King Day when John McCain was in office. So if you follow history, you know that this is part of Arizona politics. Ernie Johnson then proceeded to have a stroke. Um, it was unbelievable. And after the story broke, I, I spoke on the phone with NBA Players Association President Billy Hunter. And I love what he said. Like, I was like, off the top of your head, what do you think about this? He said, 
It's phenomenal. This makes it clear to me that it's a new era. It's a new time. Athletes can tend to be apolitical and isolated from the issues that impact the general public. But now, here come the sons. Awesome. And it had, and that's why the, this talk is titled that, actually. Thank you, Billy Hunter. So this had a major ripple effect then throughout the NBA. First, there was their opponent, the San Antonio Spurs, and their coach, Greg Popovich. Now, if you judge a book by its cover, Popovich looks like a guy from the 60s who would beat up hippies. If you, if you know um, I mean, just we're talking pure superficialities here. Now, now, but Coach Pop said that he was pissed off by the whole thing because he wanted his team to be low spurs so it could be a double solidarity action and the league wouldn't let him do it. Then, pretty cool, then stepping in was Coach of the Lakers, Phil Jackson, who... Once again, to judge a book by its cover, is known as like the Zen master guy. He brags about his time in the 60s and all the LSD he took. And, and he's kind of a living argument about the utter political uselessness of hippies, I guess. Um, God, I sound like Eric Cartman. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Um, now, Jackson said that... The law was great. SB 1070 was a good thing because all they were doing was taking federal law and giving it some teeth. That's a quote. Taking federal law and giving it some teeth. Now, you hear this a lot. You know, this is an interesting jumping off point for an argument here because the legal immigrants, according to the law, must carry papers at all times. And so the argument is what's wrong with enforcing that? Well, it's something called the Bill of Rights, uh, a document, unfortunately, that's like a raincoat with holes. It looks great until you actually need it. Then Jackson said, I don't think teams should get involved with this political stuff. Yes, Phil Jackson in the same breath supported this draconian bill and then blasted the Suns for making a political statement about it. That's pretty cheeky. It's like it's like the food here is awful in such small portions, you know. And, but then the Los Angeles City Council, by a vote I believe of 16 to 1, decided that they were not going to do business with anti-immigrant Arizona. And this gave confidence to activists in L.A. to actually picket Phil Jackson in front of the Staples Center before a playoff game. And... I mean, this is quite, same time, oh, this is quite the daring act. I mean, it's kind of like doing an abortion rights protest in Vatican City. Um, but there they were. There they were. Try to, try to keep up. Come on. There, there they were with their slogan, which is so good, which is a coach that doesn't support the community doesn't have the community support. And the Lakers actually had to issue a statement from Phil Jackson saying that he supports all kinds of progressive causes and some of his best friends are off-white. Um, and then the Suns, of course, met the Lakers in the playoffs, which led to a wonderfully popular t-shirt in Phoenix that read, Deport Los Lakers. Um, and the Lakers, as people may know, uh, beat the Suns in six games in the Western Conference Finals. And as people may know, they went on to win the championship. And given that this year we've already seen Duke win the NCAA title and the Yankees win the World Series. Sorry, Spring. 
It does give it does give credence to the idea that Satan's powers are indeed strong. Um, but the Lakers' success aside, the Phoenix Suns actually advanced much farther than anybody thought. Politics brought them together, and even better, the team was such a joy and inspiration to watch. And that reminds me of the words of another great person who unfortunately passed away this year, in addition to Dennis Brutus. His name was Lester Red Rodney. Uh, Lester was the sports editor of the Communist Party's newspaper, The Daily Worker. Yes, they had a sports page. And he ran that sports page uh, from 1936 to 1958. I, I like to tell people, Lester joined the Communist Party for all the right reasons, and he left for all the right reasons. And he was sharp as a tack until the day he died at age 98. And I would speak to him on the phone about a demo or doing something like, like this, like doing a meeting like this, and he would always say, ah, to be 80 again. And, <laughs> but, but back to the, to the subject at hand, Lester also once said, and I just love this quote, he said he saw the potential for a different world in a perfectly turned 6-4-3 double play. And I think you can see that in the play of the Suns when led by Steve Nash, that it's actually our artistically, athletically, and even politically inspirational. That might sound weird, but I'm not alone on this. Um, Esquire magazine, Esquire, did a profile of Steve Nash. And I want to read, this is how they started the article. This is Esquire. It said, Steve Nash loves soccer, hates war, and represents undeniable proof that socialism works. Wow. <laughs> now... Weird. Now, granted, it was kind of a sort of like snarky article a little bit, and the interviewer, who's just this, this utter putz um, named, uh, well, recording, Chuck Klosterman, um, <laughs> he asked Nash about his socialist playing style, and Nash had a great answer for it. He said, I know, it's, it's stupid. That's stupid. I, I'm with you that that's stupid. But they, he said, he said, this is what Nash said. It's a great answer. He said, I suppose there are a lot of connections between socialism and basketball, but none of them are conscious when I'm on the court. I don't even like to use the word philosophy when describing what I do for a living. I don't want to glorify the idea of playing basketball. But it is true that if you give of yourself, you do get things back. If you give of yourself, you get things back. So why did this happen? How did the Suns become the first U.S. team in sports history to take a political stand in such a way? Why did they wear Los Suns on the court? A couple of reasons. First of all, the players, Steve Nash, Grant Hill. And by the way, what I'm telling you guys here is like some inside baseball stuff. This is interviews I've done with people, knowing this stuff, stuff that's not been in the sports page, stuff that you should go out and tell people because they are trying to change the history of how this shit happened. Steve Nash, Grant Hill wanted to say something. Robert Sarver, very concerned that it would be a distraction to the team, trying to figure out a way to use it as a team-building exercise to come out of her political position against SB 1070 as opposed to something that would be a distraction. And this is part of a broader thread in the last seven years where more and more athletes are using this hyper-exalted, brought to you by Nike platform to speak out for political principle. I mean, if the last generation of athletes was defined by that phrase from Michael Jordan, Republicans buy sneakers too, we're getting a shift. It's not a major shift, and I don't want to overstate it, but it would also be wrong to poo-poo it too. I mean, there's a quick list of some athletes who came out against the war in Iraq over the last few years. Steve Nash, Eaton Thomas, Martina Navratilova, Josh Howard, Nick Van Exel, Adam Morrison, Donald Foyle, Joe Kim Noah, NFL All-Pro Adelius Thomas, and even it reflected itself in NASCAR. 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 Touche. But not a sport, is what they said. 
Also, golf, not a sport. Um, as I say, anything you can gain weight or smoke cigarettes while doing, not a sport. Um, sumo. That's a sport. I'm not going to tell them that. Um, look, but so check it. So, so Dale Earnhardt Jr. is being interviewed on Fox News, and they're asking, "Hey, Dale, what are you going to do after the big race?" And Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, "Well, I'm going to take the whole pit crew. We're going to go back to my place, and we're going to watch Fahrenheit 9/11." And the guy on Fox literally looked like he, he shit himself. He was, and he said, are you sure about that, Dale? Uh, are you sure you didn't mean Navy SEALs or something like that? Die hard. And, and he said, no, I think it's a movie that every American has a responsibility to see yeah. on Fox News. I mean, it's even an ultimate fighting championship, which detractors call like cockfighting with humans. There's, I'm less critical, but there is in UFC a man named Jeff Monson. And people might know of Jeff. I mean, you know, UFC is very macho. People go down to, you know, to, to like 80s hair metal when they go down to, to, to rest, you know, like Motley Crue and all that stuff. And he goes down to the octagon to give peace a chance. And he hands out uh, anti-war flyers to people and materials of like calling for uh, revolution. He considered his nickname is either he either goes by the snowman or the anarchist is what he goes by, and um, he was actually arrested at the RNC last year uh, alongside some of our comrades, alongside Amy Goodman. I mean, he was arrested as well, and they actually had a lot of trouble because they couldn't get the cuffs around his wrists. Um, <laughs> It, it, you want him on your side. And he's got this, all these amazing tattoos, too. I, I met him, and he's got like, a, you know that famous old poster of all the little fish who get together and they eat the big fish? It says organize. He's got that on his back. You know, it, it helps when you have a 75-inch back. You can do all kinds of wonderful things. But that's the shift. And... You know, it's not just the war. I mean, you had Cheryl Swoops from the WNBA, the NBA's John Amici, courageously coming out of the closet to speak for gay rights. Last fall and the weeks before, the 200,000-person march for LGBT rights, you had two NFL players, pro bowler Brendan Ayenda Badejo and New Orleans Saints Super Bowl hero Scott Fajita came out in favor of marriage equality. And... And this is surprising, but it really shouldn't shock us given the level of crisis in this country. And this shift in ideas really does break through, even uh, in the gated community and privilege that surround pro-jocks. You get, as Billy Hunter said, a new day. And I'm reminded by the quote from Pablo Picasso. And uh, to be clear, uh, what I know about art could fill a thimble. And if you'd say Picasso to me normally, I would just say, who does he play for? But <laughs> Picasso, Picasso has this quote where he said, what do you think an artist is? An imbecile who has nothing but eyes if he's a painter or ears if he's a musician or nothing but muscles if he's a boxer? Quite the contrary. He's at the same time a political being, constantly aware of what goes on in the world, whether it be harrowing, bitter, or sweet, and he cannot help being shaped by it. So that is one reason Los Suns happened, changing consciousness. But it also happened because of a sports-related push happening all the, off the field. Because you see, let's talk about Robert Sarver. I told you I would. Like most owners, he's to the right of Genghis Khan. And, and this is just a rumor, but he, I've heard rumors that he has an I Heart Ayn Rand tattooed right on his ass. So, all right, this is terrible. I just totally made that up. I'm sorry. 
I just thought it would be funny. I don't know. Sarbert did not want to do Los Suns, but he also didn't want the Suns to go the way of baseball's Arizona Diamondbacks and become a symbol of the traveling roadshow for everything that's wrong in the state. Because since SB 1070 has passed, the Diamondbacks have been protested at the ballpark in Denver, Chicago, Houston, L.A., San Francisco, Boston, Miami, Atlanta. It's coming up in New York City and D.C. too. Who here has been to an anti-D-backs protest or is planning to be to an anti-D-backs protest? And the one that unites all of these is get the All-Star game the hell out of Phoenix in 2011. Now, now, there are those who think these demonstrations at ballparks make no sense and are a waste of time, like LA, LA Dodgers manager Joe Torre, who after the demo there said these demonstrations make no sense and are a waste of time. And... <laughs> And this is what Joe Torre said. He said, it's a team. They don't make the laws. This is stupid. It makes no sense. Let me explain why Joe Torre is wrong and everyone here should protest at the ballpark. Because it's not just a question of solidarity, although that's important in and of itself. But there are three reasons, really. And if you know these three reasons, you'll be armed to go out there and protest to your heart's content. Reason one, protest the D-backs because it allows us to nationalize this issue. The laws in Arizona are built for export. Make no mistake about it. The estimates are anywhere between 12 and 15 states are going to be trying to push these through in the months ahead. And these demos are a way to lay down the marker in our state that this will not pass. Two, protest the D-backs because they deserve it. And not just because they're in last place. The team's, the team's big boss is a man by the name of Ken Kendrick. And people should now boo. No, seriously. This is like... Uh, in, on Purim in synagogue. You know, you say Haman and everybody boos. Just think. All right. Sorry. Thank you. Good. Bless you, Sarah. Um, okay. So let's try that again. The team's big boss is a man named Ken Kendrick. Good. Now, Ken Kendrick says he's against SB 1070. He's not even for it. Why are people protesting me? And yet he's still holding fundraisers for pro-SB 1070 politicians in the owner's box at his stadium. And to add even more insult to injury, that stadium was built with hundreds of millions of dollars in public funds. This is political money laundering. And we should say that if the owners of the D-backs want to underwrite these laws with our tax dollars, we should haunt their every step. And the third reason why you should protest the D-backs, because fuck them, that's why. Seriously. 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 And, and I'm sorry if they're sensitive ears, but fuck Arizona. For SB 1070, for banning ethnic studies, for firing teachers with accents, for God's sakes for using Dr. King's words when they defend this shit on television, saying we believe in the content of our character. Fuck them. That's why we protest the Diamondbacks. And, and as... Now, and I'll quote the brother again, Dennis Brutus, who once said, not about Arizona, I wish he could have lived to help lead this struggle, but he once, he said this about Israel when he was relating it to South Africa. He said, if your behavior is that of an apartheid state, then we will treat you as a pariah state. That's so, right. Now, now, this resistance around baseball is real, and it's not just off the field of play. In the days afterwards, 18 major league players spoke out against the bill, most of them Latino. I want to use an example of a 
non-Latino player to give a sense of it, Michael Young of the Texas Rangers, who said, you can quote me, it's a ridiculous law, and it's an embarrassment for us, for American citizens. And also people like Padres all-star first baseman Adrian Gonzalez, Chicago White Sox manager Ozzie Guillen, they came out and said that they would boycott the All-Star Game if it was in Phoenix in 2011. Yeah. Now, and in addition to the players, more than 100,000 people have signed a petition asking Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig to take this step and move the game. How much time do I have? I'm at 30. Okay. All right. Five. Okay. Thank you. Great chair, everybody. I mean, hand, hand for the chair, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, sorry. Okay. Now, now, Bud Selig, the commissioner, after weeks of hemming and hawing and no commenting, came out with his answer, and it was typical Bud Selig. And before I read it, I just want to say I was once on a radio show and I was asked why people think Bud Selig is perceived to be weak and pathetic. And I said, maybe it's because he's weak and pathetic. Because when he was asked if they would move the game, this is what Bud fumed. He said, apparently all the people around and in minority communities think we're doing okay. That's the issue. We're proud of what we've done. And that's the answer. What does that mean? I mean, my God, put the glue down and stop sniffing. But, um, and I'm not sure what minority communities he's talking about, but this is pure, unadulterated horseshit. This is what baseball has done to minority communities in my city. African-American majority city, Washington, D.C., a billion-dollar baseball stadium was built with public funds while boys and girls clubs simultaneously shut down and even the Little League lost its funding. Or let's talk more about minority communities globally. The very talent pipeline that supports the sport is, comes from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, where Major League Baseball has invested billions developing talent on the cheap, signing kids as young as 15, scouting them as young as 7, 8 years old, and then they're owned by clubs for years with only a minute percentage ever making it to the pros. And that minute percentage now makes up 28% of all players. And I could also mention the sweatshops in Honduras used to actually make the baseballs that are used on the field. And so this is, I think, in other words, what the D-backs protests can do. They can actually shine a light on the very political economy of Major League Baseball and of all sports. And that's what Robert Sarver of the Phoenix Suns did not want. He didn't want his team associated with a big-time sporting boycott. He's well aware that Arizona lost the Super Bowl in 91 when they refused to acknowledge Martin Luther King's birthday, as Chris Weber reminded us. And that's the first time that's ever been said at a socialist conference, right? As Bush Reber reminded us. And, and now the boycott struggle is on. Teams are refusing to play in Arizona, including like a high school girls softball team from right outside of Chicago, other youth teams around the country. And it's because people now have to take sides, even in the apolitical world of sports. We're seeing in practice the reality laid out by another dear friend of ours who died this past year, the great Howard Zinn, who said you can't be neutral on a moving train. And And make no mistake about it, the train is moving. And when people have to take a side, when people have to stand for something and not just float through life like a piece of shit in the pool, it's amazing what they say. I mean, Mike Lupica, Mike Lupica, sports columnist of the Daily News, who on many issues is that piece of shit in the pool. He called for moving the game, and he said, Bud Selig needs to lay it out so even Governor Jan Brewer can understand. If that law really goes into effect in a few months, the All-Star game goes too. Mike Lupica. 
I mean, you can't be neutral on a moving train, not even Mike Lupica. And while the sports debate is playing a role in keeping the train moving, providing steam for the engine, it's the low suns and D-backs, to be perfectly clear, they're not the reason the train has left the station, because this did not all explode from the mind of Steve Nash. It actually happened because of the people who will never be profiled in Esquire, the people who actually make history, the people who British Petroleum calls the small people. But, yeah, whatever the hell he says. But so here it is. Arizona might be the home, the meth lab of all this hate. Now this I'll end on this point. It's, but it's also the place where we're seeing nothing less than the birth of a modern civil rights movement. You see it in the more than 100,000 people who marched on May 29th and in solidarity marches around the country. You hear it. You actually hear it in the language of protesters who are calling themselves freedom walkers, saying they're going to walk the, the state without papers. You see it in the four undocumented students who were arrested in John McCain's office almost exactly 50 years from the day when the four brave young people sat in the lunch counter in Greensboro, sparking a new phase in the black freedom struggle. And you see it in the movement to divest in Arizona, from Arizona, from L.A. to Boston, to, there you go, to small towns in Texas. You see it in the courage of a seven-year-old girl who, not five minutes from my house in Washington, D.C., shocked Michelle Obama by asking her, why is the president taking everyone away who doesn't have papers? And... And when Michelle Obama said, well, we have to work on that, the little girl said, but my mother doesn't have papers. And then this little boy, to her, it's heartbreaking, said to her, how do you make papers so her mom doesn't go away? This is what we're seeing. And like with the first civil rights movement, we're seeing it echoing in the world of sports. Because remember, almost a decade before we knew the name Rosa Parks, Jackie Robinson smashed the color line in Major League Baseball. And Dr. King called Robinson a sit-inner before sit-ins, a freedom rider before freedom rides. And that's why it matters so much to have someone like Adrian Gonzalez say he would forego the All-Star game because, quote, it's immoral. They're violating all of our human rights. This reminds me of the time that Jackie Robinson, he did a barnstorming uh, speaking tour in the South for civil rights, and he said, if I had to choose between the Baseball Hall of Fame and full citizenship for my people, I would choose full citizenship time and again. Now, for me, those words recall the words of Eugene Debs, who said, when I rise, it'll be with the ranks, not from the ranks. You can't separate me from the mass because we have a broader mission in store. You know, there was a time when Jackie Robinson was actually the most requested speaker by southern branches of the NAACP. The number two most requested speaker was someone you might have heard of, a guy named Martin Luther King. And I always find that funny because you imagine people talking about it and saying, we need to get a speaker, rally the troops. Can we get Jackie Robinson? Oh, no, he's busy. All right, let's get Dr. King. <laughs> that he would be anybody's second choice. But, but it seems appropriate to remember the words of Dr. King at this moment, at the dawn of a new chapter for civil rights. And I'll end with this. Dr. King once said, it's my all-time favorite quotes from Dr. King, he said, change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. And so we must straighten our backs and work for our freedom. A man cannot ride you unless your back is bent. So a memo to Governor Jan Brewer, to John McCain, to Ken Kendrick, and to all the racist politicians, our backs are bent no longer, and you can go ride yourself. <laughs>
The preceding program was a production of WeAreMany.org, a website dedicated to publishing radical and activist media that promotes a better understanding of today's world while also putting forward a vision for a better future. We Are Many is a project of the Center for Economic Research and Social Change. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.